If you looked up the words green thumb in a dictionary, here's what you'd find. An extraordinary ability to make plants grow well. And what you wouldn't find is this. Ha, 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 ha. Nice try. A good story takes us on a journey. It reminds us of where we've been and shows us where we could go. A good story makes us feel and inspires us to act. Welcome to the Good Story Podcast, where everyday stories that make you laugh, cry, or feel slightly uncomfortable will leave you inspired as Kirsten King tells true stories and teaches truth. I've always wanted to grow a garden. I didn't grow up with one. My mom didn't garden, but I wanted to. It's not the only thing I wanted to do differently than my mom, but it was definitely one of them. Growing up, our yard had rhubarb plants and apple trees. We also had one plum tree, but these a garden did not make. They were actually there by default. Year after year, they'd bear fruit regardless of what we did or didn't do to them. I'm not saying my mom didn't utilize them. She certainly did. She made applesauce year after year. It was so good. If you haven't ever tried unsweetened applesauce on a piece of buttered toast sprinkled with cinnamon, you have to. It's so good. Trust me. It might not sound good, but it really is. My mom also made a strawberry rhubarb sauce that was amazing poured over ice cream or on top of pancakes or waffles, or sometimes I would just eat it straight up. Straight up. That just sounds so hardcore. It is strawberry rhubarb sauce straight up. Anyway, my point is it's my mom's fault I can't grow a garden because she never taught me. All right, not really. But I always thought it would be remarkable to walk outside and find something ripe and ready for the eating, like corn or tomatoes or cucumbers. For a while, I actually thought my mom grew cucumbers because we had a bunch, but I found out later my neighbors just brought them over because they had a huge garden after all. They also had corn and tomatoes and green beans. I remember sitting on the back steps of their house after being invited by one of the kids to come and snap beans with them. That sounded exciting. I wondered if it was some sort of a game. We were always making up games to play with each other, like double it or other games with with balls and in the yard and whatever. So snapping beans, yeah, it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't as fun as a game, but it was sure cool to see what beans looked like up close before they made it into the bags in my freezer. Now, I snap beans all by myself, standing at my kitchen sink after buying them from the grocery store Or if I'm really fortunate and seasons are permitting, I get them by the pile in recyclable containers from the farmer's market where all the gardeners gather and speak the secret language of acids and bone meal and nitrates and such. I love walking up and down the rows of a farmer's market. I feel a little bit like a poser, but I still enjoy looking at flowers and homemade jerky and and honey I see squash and melons and odd-shaped things I've yet to identify, but the people all there, they all know what's up. I feel inadequate and I feel out of place after a pretty short time. I shouldn't assume they're all judging me when I buy a huge box full of tomatoes, pick up a few sweet onions and green peppers, and then make my way to my Fiat where I load up the back and head home to make a salsa that I did not earn. I shouldn't assume the worst from these vendors. They're not all like our last next door neighbor that in order to protect her identity, I'm just going to call her Darlene. 
Darlene was a gardener. She grew up on a farm and she knew her way around the dirt, and she was very proud of that. I, for years, had cleared out a patch of ground about four feet by 12 feet, right at the south side of the house. I brought in dirt, I lined it with railroad ties, and I raked it. Some might even say I tilled it with a garden rake. Each year, I would drive to a garden center. Maybe it was in the Walmart parking lot or outside of the Cashwise grocery store. Or maybe if I wanted to feel embedded in the gardening culture, I'd head out to Menards where people wouldn't just buy plants and seeds, but they could buy all they needed in order to set themselves up as successful gardeners and save big money while they did it. I would go to one of these stores and filled with hope and, and confidence that I had no right to possess, I'd put small seedlings of tomato plants and cucumber plants and a green or red bell pepper plant into my cart. I'd wander the aisles and buy sunflower seeds. And I don't mean the type you eat at a baseball game. I mean the ones that you were meant to plant in the ground that would grow to be bold flowers six or seven feet tall. I'd buy basil and cilantro and then one more something just to literally spice it up, like oregano or chives or parsley. I'd buy flowers for my flower boxes. Then I'd read all the instructions tucked into the hanging baskets. I'd see which ones were meant for full sun, partial sun, or shade. And then I'd just buy the one I thought was the prettiest and think, well, I mean, it's not full sun at night. I'm sure this one's going to be fine and it would be for a couple weeks. I'd go home with my young kids, my plants in the back, and I'd plant a garden. I'd tell them, okay kids, now we're gonna water them and watch them grow. I'd eventually forget to do the first, that then would prevent us from being able to do the second. I'd always try though. One year I planted nine tomato plants and got five tomatoes. The next year, I planted five tomato plants and got nothing. On a good day, I'd go out to my backyard feeling kind of proud of myself for remembering I had a garden and remembering to water it. I'd stand with my hose in hand after turning the nozzle to what I felt was the best of the six options for watering all my little green shoots. On one such day, Darlene slowly walked behind me. And without pausing her step or raising her voice above much more than a whisper, she said, wrong time of the day to be watering. I glanced behind. I saw her walking away as she made her way to her, back, her backyard. And I called out, wait, what? What did you say? What do you mean? She'd saunter back slowly and equally slowly would dish out very minimal gardening advice. Don't water between 10 and 2. It's worse than not watering at all and she'd turn around and walk away. I thought, how do I tell her that I was kind of glad that I remembered to do it at all? One year, my neighbor Darlene gave me some plants she had started who knows when in the warmth of her own home. There were a few tomato plants under some bright lights that had graduated from ice cube trays to tiny little tins, and now were standing about eight inches high in a coffee can. She told me how she had nurtured them each to this point and added, if I wanted, I could see if I could keep them growing. I told her I'd try my best. A few weeks after she gave them to me, when she saw me outside pulling a few weeds out of my garden, she asked me if I was interested in seeing my tomato plant siblings that she had growing in her garden. I knew the only correct answer to that was yes, 
And so I followed her behind her garage. My plant siblings were full and flourishing, standing well above my waist with little yellow flowers everywhere. She said, can you even believe that our plants started out the same size? I think she thought at this point I would say no, but I said, yes, I absolutely can. And I thought, and so for sure can you. I walked back to my little plants with any hopes I'd had for growing my own tomatoes for salsa dashed. Did I just say tomatoes? I maybe did anyway. And sure enough, one by one, my plants, they would die. Growth stilted before they could bear fruit. That was not what I wanted. It wasn't what I wanted for my garden. And it certainly isn't what I want for my life. Growth stilted before they could bear fruit. It's not what Paul wanted for the church at Philippi either. With respect to gardening, I don't know much. But what I do know about life is this. I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said when he wrote his letter to the church at Philippi. I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He wrote this real letter to this real church that was continuing to meet at the home of Lydia. He wrote this letter 10 years after he'd been with them in Philippi. And now, 800 miles away, he was penning a letter to them that came straight from his heart. If you remember, when Paul was in Philippi, he had met Lydia and some other women who gathered by the river to pray. A church had begun in Lydia's home. And then Paul, with his friend Silas, were imprisoned until God sent an earthquake that would be used not only to set them free, but would also be used to free the jailer and his whole household from life without God into one in relationship with God because of Jesus. After this culminating event, Paul left Philippi and didn't return. But his heart did over and over and over and over again. He loved the people in Philippi and told them as much. He started out with, in Philippians chapter 1, saying, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Do you hear this superlative? Do you hear this big hearted feeling? I thank my God every time in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Paul loved the people that met as the church at Philippi. And right after he expressed the joy he had every time he remembered them, that's when he said, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He knew without a doubt that the seeds he was used to plant in their hearts and minds, the seeds of the gospel, the seeds of truth, the seeds of reasoning through scripture about Jesus being the Messiah. He knew those seeds as well as the seeds he planted with his own life when he demonstrated that faith in Jesus was always well-placed. He knew without a doubt that these seeds that were planted would grow and continue to grow. He knew it wasn't up to him to water at the right time or remember the garden. He knew that these seeds would be growing and flourishing because they were God's own seeds and it was the God's gift and God's promise and quite frankly, God's responsibility to grow these seeds into towering plants that would bear much fruit. 
If you want to read more about this, just look at John 15, where it talks about, to us about abiding in the vine. We are told that if we abide in the vine, we will bear much fruit. We are told that apart from Christ, we do nothing. This is great reassurance. It's a great invitation to lean in to our relationship with God through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm glad there's a good work being done in me that is not yet completed. I know there's work to be done. I'm encouraged that God continues to watch over me. And as I abide in him, clinging to his presence in the word, I'm glad that he continues to grow me day by day and that he continues to bear fruit in my life. And you know what, friend? You can be glad of that too. If your life walking with God has begun as you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you too can be assured that God is continuing his work in you. As we learn and grow, we can rejoice in the fact that God is at work in each one of us. No one will meet a perfect person this side of heaven. The work that God is doing won't be completed until the day of Christ, the day when we're in heaven with him. So we need not be surprised when someone disappoints us. We don't need to be surprised when somebody breaks a promise. We don't need to hold them up to a stricter judgment than we're willing to submit to because what we recognize is this in the same vein that we don't need to be surprised when we might be a disappointment to ourselves. We continue to be imperfect even while God continues to do his work in us. What if this? What if when you were disappointed by a fellow work in process, what if you lifted that disappointment and that person up to the Lord who loves you what if you lifted that disappointment and that person up to the Lord who loves you and loves them perfectly? What if, when doing so, you trusted that God would give you exactly what you needed for your exact situation from the storehouse of himself? What if your disappointments were used to grow your appreciation for your loving Heavenly Father? What if we all focused on Him instead of pointing out others' faults and flaws? What if we all focused on Jesus when we were tempted to see our own faults and flaws? What if we used the reminders that inevitably come as we walk through life as imperfect and in-process individuals? What if we, as we walk through life as this, we drew closer to the one who is doing the work within us. What if we would live unafraid because in the presence of perfect love, fear runs. I don't have to be afraid of my imperfections. I can embrace them. I can confess them. I can surrender them to the Lord's work. A good story listener asked me recently, do you do stupid things on purpose so you can share them on the, po on the podcast? I laughed and then I said, thank you. Thank you for thinking first. I'm savvy enough to think of a stupid thing to do, brave enough to do it on purpose, and then clever enough to make it sound spontaneous. The correct answer to that question, however, was obviously not. I could only wish. Instead, what I do know is this, that God is at work in me to make all things work together for good. And that good is a life that is becoming more and more like Christ and a life that will continue to do so until it is complete on the day of Christ Jesus. Not only am I glad that God continues to do his work in me, I am also so grateful that there is a good work being done in those that I love that has not yet come to completion. A good work that God is doing, not me. I nor you are responsible for the growth of those we love. God is. We can pray, we can love, we can forgive, 
all those things, by the way, which is evidence of the good work going on in us. We can do these things. We can hope. We can trust. We can recognize that each one of us are living lives that are a series of wise choices mixed with not so wise ones. Each one of us live lives that are full of days that we wish would never end and some we wish we never had to live through at all. Each one of us, as we place our faith and trust in God alone, to do His work alone, for His glory alone, can trust that not only will God water our lives at the right time, He is the water. He is the soil. He is the sun. He is all that we need to make us grow. And He is all that bears fruit to His glory. Amen. 